Hello and welcome to a Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. Pretty good move today. Always good to beat a big five rival, although it was not the prettiest of showings for about, I'd say what, like two thirds of the game. Nova was able to come out up against Temple. You can't lose to Temple at home. I don't care what the story is, but you just can't lose to Temple at home. And Nova was able to pull one out, took over in the second half late in the game. Big shout out to Jermaine Samuels. He had a big hand in this 69 to 59 win over the Temple Owls for Nova to keep on winning, stay undefeated in Big Five play. Chris, this was uh quite the game, quite the yeah. game because uh for a good half of it I was terrified, very terrified. Yeah, another Big Five game and another game that's a little too close to comfort, too close for comfort there, way too close. Proud of how the team rallied, but I'd say compared to the LaSalle game. It, it was pretty much a one-man show for, for the rally. And it was all Jermaine Samuels. A big standing O, big props to the sophomore. Someone who's struggled immensely his freshman year in limited action and hasn't done exactly the best this year so far. And man, oh man, did he shine. Hit three big threes. He hit the one three to basically turn the game on its head and forced Villanova on a big run to close out the game, flying all over the place, getting boards. Like you had mentioned last week, you know, if there's one thing he does really well, it's getting those boards. And man, man, did he do that? Grabbing seven of them, two of the offensive variety. He just seemed to be all over. And even at the end when Villanova was doing its classic, throw the ball halfway down the court on the inbounds, he was able to basically out muscle. I don't know who it was on Temple to tip away the ball and get to the Gillespie and basically ice the game at the free throw line. Just a phenomenal performance by Samuels, especially when this offense needed a spark off the bench because of just how lethargic it looked, especially in the beginning of the game. Big ups to Jermaine. Yeah, this team needed a hero, especially with how the game started out. Nova was just turning the ball over. Temple had that quick bucket to start. Nova responded with a nice little scoring spurt. And then just went absolutely stagnant from there. And then they were turning the ball over. The Owls were capitalizing, turning them to easy buckets. One thing I want to point out about Samuel's big night, it was all second half. It was all second half magic. He only mm-hmm. played four minutes in the first half and didn't score a single point, didn't grab a single rebound during that stretch. And then second half, he comes in, team needs a hero, goes in for 12 minutes, scores 15 points, grabs seven rebounds, was efficient as hell, four or five on the floor, three for three from deep. You're the only one who was really locked in offensively. And there, there was something that we saw from Jermaine Samuels. As you mentioned, I have praised his rebounding. I always thought, you know, even as lost he may seem at times, his rebounding seems to be always there. He's always crashing. He crashes it very well. Seems to get the right angle. Seems to attack at the right time. Seems to have great instincts. Very good at that side of the game. But last night, we got to see him have swagger. When he was making those shots, it was like a home run trot running back on defense. He <laughs> yeah. looked really, really good, and he was making those threes when he really needed to most. It was great to see that because he was struggling earlier this season. For sure. And it's amazing what a little bit of confidence can do for a guy. And I, I feel that, you know, even though we really haven't seen him have that good game yet, like like a coming out game like we did last night, still kind of felt that he was really just one or two games away from gaining some confidence to really, you know, build on some momentum, kind of like how DCR did earlier in the year. I mean, obviously he had a good freshman year, but 
he really hasn't shined until this year, you know, and he, because of, you know, we put a one good game together against Furman. And as a result, his past few games have been pretty damn good. But now with Samuels, hopefully this is the start of something, man. Because if, if you can get him going, that just makes this team just that much more deeper. You get an extra guy off the bench. You can maybe distribute those minutes a little bit better. And would it be, man, would it be nice to have a forward who can hit some threes, drive the basket, also get some rebounds at the same time, and just not wearing down Eric Pascal and Sadiq Bay and DCR while you're at it. Yeah, and this is also another reason as to why we got to play these other guys. Uh, I know that Samuels hasn't had exactly the brightest of starts, but I'm sure Jay's confidence in keeping him in the starting five for as long as he did was probably because he saw what we saw last night in practice. He probably saw it in the day-to-day grind. It just hadn't shown up in a game yet. And it finally did last night, and it couldn't have come at a better time because Nova was just struggling out there. He had a great game in the second half, really turned it up. There were a few mental lapses in the early in the second half, but once he got it going, he was just rolling on all cylinders. And it was really great to see him get those putbacks, make those threes, get those offensive boards, doing everything. Did a little bit of everything last night, and it's just absolutely great to see. Also, I just want to make mention of someone else who did pretty well. I mean, obviously, Samuels just spearheaded the whole rally, but Joe Cremo, man, offensively, fantastic game. Fantastic. And he didn't even shoot that many threes. He only shot two, hit one, and it was in the first half. He, he had some nice moves, especially at the end. He had that, it was like a nice post move. I forget who it was on. Able to get a nice, easy layup. Also drove to the basket, threw up a, threw up a shot off the backboard and in. Cremo had a good game inside, and, you know, his obviously his scouting report coming in was, oh, it's all about the three. But he, he has an inside game as well, apparently. So uh, props to him as well for uh, also being the only other Villanova player in double digits. Oh, actually, check that. Pascal had 10, but Cremo had a very efficient game. And as a result, with the two bench players, with Samuels and Cremo, spearheaded a second-half rally, and Villanova was able to win. Yeah, totally. If you take Samuels and Cremo, they were the only two to go past the 10-point mark. Eric Pascal did have 10 points, but it just didn't feel like it. He was 3 of 15 on the floor and missed all six of his three-point attempts. And if you look at the rest of the floor, no one seemed to really get it going. So as a team, the Wildcats shot 21 of 52, over 40%. But if you put aside Samuels, you put aside Cremo, as a team, they shot 13 of 41. And that is not pretty. That is not cute. That is just over 31%, a touch over 31%, and that's just not good as a team. But you live to fight another day. You got through it. And hopefully this weekend when we prepare for St. Joe's, it'll be better this time around. But I was incredibly underwhelmed by the performances of Pascal and Booth, and they continue to play big minutes. Yeah, they are playing a big, big chunk of minutes here. I don't know. Could you say they're getting tired early in this, this early in the season? I don't know. But... I mean, you look at Pascal's shots from last night, a lot of them were short, especially the three-pointers. All of them were short. I mean, even the free throws, too, they just looked off and short as well. I mean, and usually when your shots are short, it's usually because you're just not putting enough legs into it. But again, it could have just been a bad shooting night for him. Even when he was driving to the rim, it seemed that he was getting posted up there and, and stopped at the rim. Not exactly the best effort for Pascal, but you know he basically carried the team against LaSalle along with Booth. So it was nice to see that someone else would step up in, in the absence of the senior shots going in. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, I know we talk about 
or Jay Wright preaches about attitude and all that, but Samuel is just sitting on the bench, getting relegated as the young season just went along, going from starting five to off the bench to barely any minutes to taking over in the second half. I give Jay props for riding the hot hand and letting Samuels do his thing in the second half because he was phenomenal coming down the stretch. Yeah, that's something we've been clamoring for, just to ride the hot hand, and he certainly went for it. He, he ended up benching DCR pretty much the, the, the whole rest of the game, and I thought he was having an, an okay game throughout. Yeah, no way. No way he's setting the senior leaders, even if they're cold. That's not happening. Yeah, I guess he was just the odd man out there. On Temple's side, I was impressed with their trio over there that they have going on between Quinn Rose, Shiz Olsen Jr., and Napier-Louis, who goes by the French pronunciation versus Lewis. They reached their average of 45 points between the three of them. Pierre-Louis leading the way with 19 points, Alston with 15, Rose with 13. They were tough. They were tough. Very, I was pretty impressed with them. Yeah, for sure. And it was Pierre-Louis who ended up leading all scorers with 19. So it, it, it doesn't matter with Temple. It just throw any one of those three at you and they're going to they're gonna score. It, it's ridiculous. They, they got a good trio over there. Quentin Rose was particularly impressive, I, I felt like. Granted, as a team, Temple didn't shoot that well from three. Neither did the big three as well. But, I mean, their inside game was pretty nice. I thought they did a lot of nice things, especially on the boards too. I thought they were doing all right. I mean, Chiz Alston did put up 15, a little bit inefficient, 5 of 16 from the field. But, uh, man, I like his game, too. They got a decent core over there with those three. It's just, I don't know, it's just not a lot of depth elsewise. I mean, Aflac Pui, he started off good. He had, like, a big dunk to, to start, but after that, he was kind of absent. Not, just not a lot of depth on the temple, it seems like. Rand Dunphy seems to ride and die with that trio and doesn't really seem to get that much help from anywhere else. It's, it's welcome. It's definitely welcome when it happens, mm-hmm. but it's pretty much those three. That run, though, in the second half to really turn things around, because it was looking bleak for a while. It was not looking great. The offense was struggling defensively. Whenever it seemed like Nova could finally put together a basket, Temple would just answer right back right away. But then midway through, in the closing minutes of the second half, about six, seven minutes left, Nova goes on an 8-0 run to take the lead and then just from there just dominates yeah i know we talk i know we talk about how you know closing games are important but i don't know how many heart attacks i could take because (laughs) the first 30 minutes was just struggling struggling to digest that those first eight minutes those were those were pretty exciting that whole stretch where it wasn't one out of ball thrown out of bounds not one stoppage in play you know you had you basically used up the two tv timeouts in 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 one there uh, that that was a fun stretch of basketball. And in the LaSalle game, there was that nice little stretch too. It was like a five to six minute run where there wasn't any stoppages. So Villanova was playing some exciting basketball, but only in spurts. But yeah, that, that first half offensively, uh, woof. That was, uh, that was bad. A lot of old tendencies that we saw in the uh, beginning of the year. A lot of ISO, not a lot of ball movement. It seemed to have corrected itself uh, in the second half with uh, Samuels coming off the bench. So I have to ask because during that, beginning of the game probably the first 25 30 minutes or so there were a lot of people on twitter panicking there were a lot of there was a lot of uh worry there was a lot of distress between the game and i don't blame them i mean it was pretty hard to watch for a while especially as a fan you don't want to lose the temple and when things aren't looking good and there was just no sign of it turning around it just wasn't great so there were some people some commenters some tweets 
who believe that this is this team is the equivalent of the 2012-2013 team, which was Ryan Ochi Diaco's freshman year. And we saw how that team, you know, while they could get the exciting wins, they'll also have the frustrating losses. I don't know about you, but I just don't agree with that comparison yet. I think this team right now could smoke that team. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess as as we speak now, yeah. Like if like if we're taking like the twelve thirteen team where it was at this point in the season to the, the eighteen nineteen team where it is in this point in the season, I would uh, I would happen to agree with that. I think we just because you know we see the the twelve thirteen team with you know Arch and Hilliard and Bell uh, and Chef, but like I feel like a lot of that is like recency bias because we remember what they were more towards their junior and senior years than what they were their freshman year. And there were a lot of growing pains their freshman years and their earlier years at the, in the program. So I would caution against that <laughs> uh, comparison. I guess I can see where it's coming from because it's a younger team, but I, I feel like the seniors on this team are better than the seniors on that team. And I also think that the freshmen and the sophomores are a little further developed than the freshmen and the sophomores were on the 12-13 team. And I also do think that that comparison was brought up just because that was the last time Nova lost a Big Five game. I'm not drawing. I'm not going. I'm not singing that low yet. I, that was a very fun team to watch, but I do not think that this current team, as we're talking right now, is that is there. Right. The 12-13 team developed phenomenally, especially throughout the year. Like you said, they had the exciting wins against Louisville, Syracuse, Georgetown, Marquette. You had a, a bunch of those big wins, and that really helped developed all those players and the development came along nicely that year. Now this team can completely go stagnant. We, we don't know. I, I doubt it, but so then in, I guess in that case, I mean, talk to us in March. What, if you want to say who's better 12, 13 or 18, 19, but I see this team developing, you know, along the, the ways that Jay expects it to along the way that the fan base expects it to, they expect it to get better. So I'm not sinking that low either. So I think this next game coming up on Saturday afternoon, Nova's going to renew its holy war, another battle of that long rivalry, which I think is definitely one-sided. I mean, granted, I don't like St. Joe's, but from what I've talked to in Hawk alumni or just other St. Joe's students during my time at Nova, they hate us way more than we hate them. This is just unreal. This is kind of how I imagine the Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers, quote unquote rivalry. <laughs> exactly. I, I get it. I didn't get how the people call that a rivalry, but I get it now. Yeah. It's just the little brother looking up to the older brother. Now, I think Nova should not have a problem with this team. Granted, Temple's defense, as we saw going in, statistically is pretty good. St. Joe's, on the other hand, uh, not so good. A corner Ken Palm, they're ranked 171st in defensive efficiency, which is all not that great. But they're giving up. They're letting teams basically do whatever they want. They're allowing opponents to shoot an effective field goal percentage of 54.1%, which is way, way, way subpar. And overall, we know that Nova loves to shoot them up, sleep in the streets. And of course, St. Joe's lets opponents run wild on them from long range, allowing them to shoot 387 from deep, which is bottom 50 nationwide. Offensively, though, the St. Joe's team is pretty good. They're top 50 in offensive efficiency. They don't turn the ball over very much. They have the best turnover rate just doing so on 11.4% of their possessions, which is not much at all. They shoot. They can sling it from deep. They got a bunch of shooters between Charlie Brown, who's playing the game of his life right now. Lamar Kimball, Jared Bynum, Taylor Funk, they can all shoot it. They also got Anthony Longpree. Chris, this St. Joe's team, they're very offensive-oriented. They got four different guys in double figures. 
Are you scared of this team, or do you think that their defensive problems will allow Nova to take care of them easily? You know, if this game was earlier in the year, I think I'd be a little bit more concerned because I just didn't think that Villanova's defense has figured it out yet and looked very discombobulated earlier in the year. I, they're certainly getting better. I mean, it's still prone to some lapses, but every defense is. So I, I'm a little concerned on Villanova's defensive end. I didn't realize how good St. Joe's was on offense. You, you look up and down that roster, you look at their stats, and yeah, they can really light up the scoreboard. And like you mentioned, Charlie Brown, man, 23 points a game. Oh, shooting over 50% from beyond the arc. It's absolutely insane numbers right now that he's putting up. But I think Villanova should take care of business here. St. Joe's defense is just that awful that even with Villanova's lapses in offense, as we saw last night, I think they'll be able to correct it for this game. And St. Joe's defense leaves it susceptible to three-point shots, and that's exactly what Villanova's known for. But if you want to look just you know, at some opponents St. Joe's has played so far. West Virginia, they gave a game to. They lost by seven. William & Mary, they lost two by two. Temple, they just lost two. But they've also beaten the likes of Princeton and Wake Forest. So very mediocre team. And that's what's going to happen when you have an all-offense, no-defense type team. You're going to win half of them. You're going to lose half of them. I feel you're just going to be stuck in mediocrity. Could be, provide some exciting basketball, but it's not going to lend yourself to a, a 20 plus win season this is probably one of the best offensive performing teams that this st joe's squad has seen in a while probably since Bembry and company in 2016 when they won the a10 granted that team actually played defense this one doesn't seem to do much of that so while nova's defense hasn't exactly been the greatest i think it has definitely improved since the first couple of games i think nova should take care of this one this is st joe's team that will definitely come Guns blazing because it seems like every big five team is just licking its chops and knowing that Nova is kind of vulnerable right now. And although St. Joe's is five and four, they've lost four of their last six games. I think Nova should be able to take care of business, especially if we're going to be back at home. We're going to be back at the fin. So I think that this St. Joe's team, but next year, this team is going to be very scary. Right now, I think Nova should take care of this. No seniors outside of Chris Clover and Markel Lodge who are in their rotation. And those guys are probably the fifth, six options. Yeah, their big four is all young. So definitely room for improvement for St. Joe's going forward. Just might have to take some losses now and figure out the defense. And once you do, it it could be dangerous. Once again, this game is this Saturday at 2 p.m. If you're not going to be there live, it's going to be on FS1. You can always stream it also on Fox Sports Go. So that's what to watch for in the men's action. As for the ladies, they also got some Big Five stuff to prepare for this weekend. But first, they got a game tonight against GW, George Washington. The Colonials are 2-6. and six. Not all that impressive. They've lost five of their last six games. What can we expect from this Colonials team? Brief overview of their schedule so far. They beat up on Princeton, which is a common opponent between them and Villanova. But they also played... Maryland, who was a highly ranked team and got absolutely smacked around 69 to 30. And then they also played NC State in a Thanksgiving tournament, who was also a highly ranked team, number 15 at the time. And they gave them a good game. They lost 69 to 61, still lost, but at least they were com- held competitive. With regards to the players, keep an eye out for Maylin Bautista. She's the leading scorer for the Colonials, averaging 11 and a half per game, while also getting 3.6 rebounds per game. Nyla Luma. Also, a double-digit scorer for the Colonials, averaging 10 points a game, while also contributing around six boards per game. And Kelsey Mahoney, along with Maylin Bautista, also a resident three-point shooter, 
for the Colonials and also averages five boards per game while also scoring at 8.4 points per game. Yeah, it's very weird. You look at what GW tries to do, especially on offense, and it seems like all of their three-point shooting just centers around three different players and no one else takes threes. Yeah. Between Bautista, Mahoney, and then another player, Maddie Loader, no one else is really taking threes. Now, granted, if you look at all their shooters across the board, they're not really converting at a pretty high rate. I mean, Malin Bautista is leading with just 32.7%, which is not that great at all. As a team, they're shooting below 29%. Not very good. But this is a team that it's very strange. Like you said, they they have some terrible losses where they just got beat down. But then they've also played teams tough and just they just kind of fell on the wrong side of things. Yeah, I think that's just what happens when you shoot a lot of threes. If your threes aren't falling, you can hang for a bit. But once they don't fall, it's the games could get out of hand pretty quickly. Good example was uh, that was their recent game against Mammoth, where they lost fifty-five, fifty-one. Pretty much a close game throughout, but didn't shoot all that well, especially towards the end. And as a result, they just they ended up losing. They just couldn't keep up. But yeah, like you said, with the three pointers, that they are shooting at an under thirty percent clip, which obviously isn't that great. But if you look on the defensive side of the ball, they're actually holding their opponents to twenty three percent from beyond the arc, which is absolutely fantastic. Now, I don't know all that much about their competition in terms of three point shooting, but regardless, so you're holding your opponents to twenty three percent from beyond the arc. That is pretty damn good. Now you got a Villanova team who obviously loves the three coming in, and something's got to give here. Either Villanova's gonna make all their shots and bring up that average or George Washington really is that good at garden garden three-point line it should be an interesting matchup for sure yeah and that and as we know the Nova women's team is just as much shoot 'em up sleep in the streets just as much as the men's team so that will be interesting Nova definitely has way more shooters to worry about Bautista this seems like this team just kind of revolves around her she's a great two-way threat she just generates turnovers she's a bulldog on defense but she also can score their leading player in that department. They really look to her to get the team going, get them going offensively. So I think if Nova is able to slow or shut her down, then they should do very well tonight. Nova, it's interesting. As we saw against St. Joe's, even when the threes weren't falling, they found a way to win. Even when only one player seemed to be the only one going, getting into a consistent groove, which was Adriana Hahn in that big five game, they found a way to win. It, it was an ugly game, mucked it up, but they were able to hold their own on defense and then score the necessary baskets or get to the free throw line and convert there. This might be a similar game if the threes aren't dropping. Regardless, Nova should win this one. I'm feeling pretty confident in their abilities. Yeah, it could get a little tricky, especially since it's on the road, but I'm confident in them as well. I think they'll be able to break the potent defense of George Washington there and hit on their shots, and I think they'll come out victorious in this one. So after they play GW... Tonight, they're going to be back on their Big Five grind. They're going to be playing the Temple Owls, hosting them at home on Sunday, 1 p.m., back on the Big Five grind. This is a Temple team that, although their record does not suggest it in any way, they're 2-5. and five. That's just not good. That's just as bad as GW standing right now. Even though it's 2-5, and five, statistically... They seem a bit improved. They seem a lot better overall. I know if you, you know, once we dive into the individual stats, we're going to see why. But statistically, this team seems a lot better, although the record definitely does not show it. Last year, they played Nova tough. They only lost by four to the Cats. I think this year, this game will also be a tough one. Yeah, similar to their men counterparts, I think this game will be especially tough. 
like you mentioned, last year's ba- uh, game was a tough battle. And honestly, I thought Villanova was probably going to blow them out in that game. And then Temple kept it close. But yeah, if you, you look across the board at their schedule here, they won their first two games against Delaware State and St. And St. Joe's. But then after that, just a long stream of losses. But they were competitive losses, like 62 to 55 to Ole Miss, 74 to 68 to Marist. And they also played at the Paul and even gave them a run for their money. Granted, they gave 102 points, but they put up 88, quite a bit of points, especially against a good team like the Paul. So they have the ability to score. And if you look at their roster, Mia Davis is the obvious superstar for Temple. She's averaging 20.1 points per game. There's also Aliyah Butts, who's averaging 16.3 points per game. And it's kind of a two-headed monster with them between Davis and Butts. But if you're looking for a tertiary option, I guess you can look at it. Desiree Oliver, who's averaging 6.6 points per game and also averaging 4.6 boards per game. Also, should mention Mia Davis, also a beast on the boards as well. She's averaging just under 10 boards a game as well. Yeah, Mia Davis, she's a sophomore and just absolutely killing it so far this season. She had a solid year last year. She started right away as a freshman played in all of their games. And against Nova last year, she had a pretty respectable game. She got into some foul trouble towards the end, but overall she almost had a double-double, 13 points, 9 rebounds. Aliyah Butts was not there in that game, so we have no tape to work off when it comes to her, but we can definitely expect some toughness from the veteran Butts. She's pretty good also. She's having a pretty solid game so far. This does seem to be a two-headed monster of sorts. Both these games this weekend have the two-headed monster with George Washington, as we just mentioned, those two players over there with Bautista being the lead scorer and with Tempo over here with Davis and Butts. And we, I remember last year saying it so many times, too, that it, there's always one or two ladies that can just absolutely put up big numbers, but then everybody else just kind of complimentary. But towards the end of the year, I felt like we were focusing on Villanova's defense, really locking down on one or two of them. And then as a result, they forced the, the bench players in the tertiary quadruple options to, to really score and, and contribute, and they weren't able to. And as a result, Villanova would come away with some good big wins. So hopefully they're able to do this this weekend, You know, kind of cut the snake off at its head and let it, let it die as a result. But it'll be interesting because they, got their, they will have their hands full with uh, Mia Davis for sure in this Temple game. Yeah, just putting it out there, Davis is scoring at a super high clip, over 50% on the floor, over 64% from beyond the arc. Absolutely monster numbers. And Aaliyah Butts is no slouch either. She's excellent as a scorer, putting over 16 a game, as you mentioned, but she's also generating just under three steals a game. She is also a workhorse in that side of the ball. Davis inside on the glass. This should be an interesting matchup. I know Temple's record is really bad, but this will likely be a close one, just like last year. I think Nova can pull away, and the only reason I say this is just because Temple's three-point defense has been very shaky. They're allowing opponents to shoot almost 36% on the floor from beyond the arc. So I think if Nova can start cooking early from deep, get them get that confidence in their three-point shot, this game will be pretty much over, but I do think that Temple is going to give Nova a game. But at the end of the day, I think we're going to be talking next time, Nova, how they won both of their games. I really do think they're going to win against GW, and they're going to win against Temple also. But this one will definitely be closer than versus the Colonials. Yeah, I pretty much agree with you on your sentiments there. But yeah, just to highlight like one deficiency for Temple, it is that they don't, they don't play exactly the best defense. They're allowing 36% of the shots from beyond the arc to fall. They're allowing 40% of the shots on the field to fall. 
And like I said before, they gave up 102 points to a good DePaul team. So it seems like the, the defense is a little bit of a liability for Temple. But like we said, they have two very strong options on offense. And I think they will give Villanova a game, but I still think Villanova pulls it out. So once again, Nova will be playing GW tonight at 7 p.m. And then later again on Sunday against the Temple Owls at 1 p.m. We'll keep you updated. We'll have those recaps for you. So definitely check back at viewhoops.com. But for now, we got to do something that we haven't done yet this week. We got to pop open the mailbag. We got to go through your questions. We got to see what you, the listeners and the readers, have to say or want to see us talk about. As always, you can tweet us at S-O-N-N-Pod and tweet and ask us your questions and we'll discuss it on the show. You can also leave it in the comments section and it'll find its way to us. First up is from Seattle Mike J, Mike Jacobs. His question is, what Villanovan will average the second most points in the NBA this season? Uh, I don't know if if anyone's checked the stats lately, but Kyle Lowry is on a tear. Brian Archie Diakido has proven to be quite the NBA player. They're loving him in Chicago. And also all the rookies are doing pretty well too. Can't discount them there too. Yeah, with regards to Arch, they just got rid of uh, the coach over there who was kind of keeping him down for, I believe it was Cameron Payne at first, but then it, he was able to break through, and now that coach is gone. It was Hoiberg. So, so yeah, maybe he'll, he'll even have more free reign to uh, continue his uh, good scoring run here. Yeah, he's they're loving him over there. I still never understood why C. Payne started over him for that stretch of games. I didn't really think there was a contest, especially – with the way Arch was outplaying him off the bench for a long time. And then when they finally went with him, it just made so much more sense. Kyle Lowry is just a double-double machine, dimes and points. But right now, if you look at the scoring charts, there isn't really a Villanovan in the top 10. It's kind of tough right now. But it honestly, this has been a very fun year in the NBA for the Cats. We have definitely slashed on those uh, alumni reports mm-hmm. on VHoop. So shout out to Mike J for uh, correctly predicting how tough that would be. But overall, this has been a great, 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 great season for the NBA Wildcats. Between the old timers who've been there a while, Kyle Lowry, Dante Cunningham, who was starting for the Spurs and has just carved out a role under Coach Pop. It seems to, he seems to be the perfect fit over there, providing all the hustle stats and more. And then you look at. The rookies, you know, this has been a pretty exciting year. Dante DiVincenzo is just absolutely tearing it up in efficiency. I think he leads the rookies right now. Might have to double-check that stat. But, yeah, he's up there. And I see Bridges is kind of carving out a role for himself and the Suns, even though they're they're pretty bad. Oh, pretty. yeah, they're they're horrible, but but he's getting real close. He's getting real close. Yeah, yeah he's had, like, a, a few games where it's, like, like, Suns fans are, like, calling for him to, like, start over everyone. Like, they're yeah. far their favorite player. Yeah, they're just so bad. It's just it's just hard to, you know, kind of put up a consistent performance when the rest of your teammates aren't the greatest. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. This next question is also from Seattle Mike J. Chris, you had a bet a few months back, I believe. I remember when we, we talked about it on the show. I think it was, like, right before March Madness started, or it might have been even the first week. Mm-hmm. And Mike J. asked us, he was going to Vegas, asked us for some bets. Oh, yes. And uh, I said to just put it on roulette. You said to put it on the Toronto Blue Jays, and you are a winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, he wants to know where to Venmo the 45 or so dollars to your name. Oh, that was it? Wow. <laughs> I should have done something more exciting. Took the under <laughs> on the Blue Jays win total, and I actually, yeah, I lucked out. Donaldson got hurt. Tulo got hurt. 
Blue Jays were just bad in general. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll I'll, I'll send I'll send my uh, Seattle Mike J a, a DM. I uh, also wanted to say congratulations to Seattle Mike J on receiving a hockey team. Now I don't know if he'll. Uh, I'm sure Seattle fans will adore that team, but I'm not sure if Mike will. I don't know if he's a hockey guy or not, but hey, congratulations on the team, and hopefully Seattle embraces it with open arms and doesn't lose it like the Sonics. Uh, I was telling someone off air they should just take the SuperSonics and just bring it back. I know, I know they've been saving the rights for an NBA team to come back, but honestly, at this point, it's looking very bleak. Yeah, I know, I know, uh, but they're like building a new arena, so maybe they might be able to. But I don't know. The NBA doesn't want to mess around with what they got now, so who knows. But I, I would love to see the Sonics back. Oh, you know me. I'm all, I'm all about the Sonics. All about the Sonics. Yeah, you and your 2K franchises. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing them back as an expansion team. TJ McConnell, all MVP, mm-hmm. hero. This next series of questions is from SNN JQ, Jerry Quinn, our guy. He's got a few questions here. First one is, what rotation is working best for us on D and O? And on defense, I don't know. I, I feel like the starting lineup's like doing doing a okay defensively. I mean, I like Bay. I like DCR guarding the rim now. He's he's put a string of performances together. Uh, yeah, I don't. Offensively, I don't know. I, I feel like there really hasn't been a lineup out there that's excited me in terms of, in terms of offense, where it's like, oh wow, these guys are really clicking together. I just kind of feel that the offense is still a little discombobulated as we saw last night. So I just, I don't know if I had to really pick a lineup. It would be tough to say, but I mean, the starting lineup I think has been pretty good so far, at least the starting lineup that they've been rolling with for the past few games. Yeah. The starting lineup since Bay joined it has been pretty good. I have been a fan of that. It's, it's been tough, honestly. I don't know if there's like a singular lineup that just really sticks out to me on either end of the floor i think it's more of like which certain players should be out at certain times like last night we saw there should never be a moment where either phil booth or colin gillespie is off the floor at the same time because there was that small stretch oh god early in the game (laughs) it was right after the eight minute mark so like they had to rest everybody like that eight minute stretch where there wasn't like a timeout or any stoppage of play and then they rolled with like Cremo at point guard, and like it was just, uh, <laughs> oh, it was a disaster. It was DCR, Bay, Pascal, and Samuels, and I'm like, yeah, this is this is gonna end terribly. And I, <laughs> I, it like took two possessions and a ball thrown out of bounds for Jay to just yank that operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, I've seen enough. This is this is horrible. <laughs> oh god, bad. Yeah, real bad. So if you want your, your bad lineup, there, there it is. Yeah, and also I. I do want to say I think we should have more plays catered for Cremo. That guy can shoot it, man. He could really shoot it. Yeah, and he does have a nice stroke. Him and Swider, man, I, I, they got to get more shots for them. I feel like there's just still way too much ISO right now and trying to create. Oh, there was a lot of ISO last night. Jeez. Yeah. There was a good stretch where it was like a game at Jake Nevin Fieldhouse. <laughs> Honestly, if you want me to name certain lineups, I, I just really have a hard time doing it. I think it's just more of like which certain combination of players can be can't or can be on the floor. Like for example, yeah, never again. I don't want to see Phil Booth and Colin Gillespie resting at the same time. That can't happen. Um, let me think. What else? Uh, that was like very obvious to me. Um, 
Yeah, that seems to be it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, honest, yeah, that's yeah honestly, if they're both sitting out at the same time or in foul trouble, that's a problem. And I and I was told that Jelly JQ was hurt or he has an injury, so that's why he couldn't go out there. So, yeah, it's just been tough. Oh, I didn't realize he was hurt. Because I was oh, going to yeah, say, if uh, you have both of them on the, on the bench, you might as well just throw him in, you know, because he kind of fits that role pretty well. That's what he came here for. And also, I... The the thing in regards to this question is I feel like I haven't seen everyone in an expanded role. Like uh, like we've said, you know, yeah. the miss distribution, it seems to be like the same six guys and everyone else. So I don't really want – I don't really think there's enough of a sample size for me to evaluate some of the other guys, like, for example, Swider and, and all that. So, yeah, it's really hard to say because we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's hard to say because we haven't seen it, and it's hard to say because there's only six guys really playing legitimately. So – there's really no difference in between the starting lineup and whoever comes off the bench, really. It's only one guy. His second question is, when will Joe Cremo lose the face mask? I think it is slowing him down. I think there's something here. You know, you, if you look at male cross-country runners or male track runners, they shave off their leg hairs because of something about aerodynamics and being able to go faster. So I wouldn't be surprised if that two-ounce face mask is holding down Primo, I don't, you know, I would not be surprised whether it's psychological or actual physical aerodynamics. <laughs> okay, sure. It might, I, I don't know. It might affect his peripheral vision. I don't know. I've never worn a mask like that. So maybe it could help him on his side to side defense. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't think it'll affect anything. Remember when oh. LeBron wore the mask and that's all Sports Center would talk about? Remember that those days? Those were good days. Which is better, Joe Cremo with the clear mask or Joe Cremo with the black face mask? Oh, yeah. We got to get the splits on that. Yeah, sure, yeah. When ESPN was infatuated with uh, the robber LeBron look when he had the black <laughs> face mask on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. a superhero. Mm-hmm. And then after that, after they wore that down, LeBron's like, oh, I'm going to switch my face mask now. I'm going clear. I don't know if it does anything. I mean, track runners seem to swear by the whole shaving your leg hair off thing. I mean, I know when I was on the track team, you could definitely keep that razor away from my legs. And also, when I was also on the track team, I requested the coach for, like, the biggest pair of shorts you have because there was no way I was wearing the short shorts. (laughs) 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 What'd you do on track? You shot put? Uh, I was a... I was a sprinter, and I also did a leg of the relay, the 400, and then I also did shot put and discus. Oh, I didn't know you ran. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was great. It was great conditioning and got me in shape for uh, football back in the day. Was that coach mandated or was that something that you did? Uh, it was something I did. It was something I did. Oh, interesting. Because yeah, I know, I know, in high school, a lot of the big football players were uh, were kind of forced to do track just so that it would keep them in shape and they wouldn't look like Eddie Lacy when they came in the training camp. <laughs> Yeah, it was just kind of like uh, I was always in the weight room during the off season, and the coach was there, and it was like, you know, you should just join track. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, sure, why not? I'll give it a shot. And it was pretty fun, pretty fun. But uh, I, I don't know when Joe Cre- – I felt like Joe Cremo's had the face mask on for way too long. I don't know exactly what the timetable is for facial injuries, but he's had that for what feels like way too long. A while, yeah. What what exactly is the facial fracture? Like nose? Was it nose, cheekbone, jaw? I, I forgot at this point. I forgot <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, hate to bring up another uh, sport here, but in hockey, to, two of the Devils players broke their jaw, and they had a cage on, and then 
a couple weeks, three to four weeks later, they were they had the cage off. Now, granted, it's a completely different sport, so I mean, I don't know. I would think within a month they would have would have healed by now. Question number three: uh, Will Trump shut down the government before January first, twenty nineteen? This is a great no. question. No. Uh, if it no. means no. if it means Jay Wright as president, oh yeah, sure, I'm all for it. Yeah, Jay Wright right. and running mate, uh, Will Cat. <laughs> right and will 2022 <laughs> exactly right and will 2020 yeah all for that question number four what is your favorite christmas movie oh home alone all day home alone all day home alone okay i guess that is, yeah, it's christmas it shows all the time. Well, I was going to say it shows all the time but then i also remembered uh the christmas story which is also a classic can't can't get enough of that see i have you know what? I'm not even going to say anything about the Christmas story. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. But does it warrant a 24-hour showing? No, no no movie ever warrants a 24-hour show. Okay. All right. I was going to suggest that, that no, it should not be on 24-7, but that's okay. Good movie. Though. Favorite Christmas movie? I don't know. Die Hard? I know, I know that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a thing. So I just wanted to That's say. a great movie. Excellent yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it a Christmas movie or just a movie that occurs during Christmas? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I would really have one specific one. It's a Wonderful Life's a good movie. That's another good one. So there are a lot of good Christmas movies. Yeah, there are. There's plenty of them. And I just love how people have to, you know, bring Die Hard into it because you know there's just not enough Christmas movies out there. Oh, you can't you can't have enough. You can never have enough. But yeah, it's uh it's definitely Home Alone for me. Probably the Christmas story next. I do enjoy that movie. And every time I watch it, I feel like there's always something, whether I either forgot about a certain scene or like didn't pick up on it before. Excellent movie. Excellent movie. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the state of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe. You have many options and channels to do so. Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or Podomatic. Also, check back at viewhoops.com every day. And often we got a lot of stuff rolling on there. So please stop by, read a few articles, sign up for an account, join the hoopla on the party. That is the comment section. And totally, totally just shout your opinions, just like everyone else. Also, you follow View Hoops at View Hoops, and that's good for Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Erepay5. And you can follow me, Chris Stanzial, at The Stance Man on Twitter. Nova Nation. Have a good weekend. Happy Thursday. We'll be back at it on Tuesday. Hopefully, we'll be talking about how Nova is still undefeated in the Big Five.